Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. This is Abdul Nasser Jangda. If you enjoy and benefit from listening to our podcast, please donate to Qalam by visiting supportqalam.com. We love being able to share this content for free with you and your donation ensures that we are always able to do so. Each podcast we produce has tens of thousands of listeners. So the opportunity for gaining immense reward by supporting this effort is endless, inshallah. You never know who will be able to benefit from your contributions and donations. Jazakumullahu khairan. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Bismillahi wa alhamdulillah wa salatu wa salamu ala rasulillahi wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. Inshallah, continuing with our study of the life of the Prophet ﷺ, the prophetic biography. In the last few sessions, we've been talking about Hajjatul Wida'. This is in the 10th year of Hijrah, the 10th year of the Prophet's residence in the city of Medina. And this is also, of course, as we know inevitably, the final year of the life of the Prophet. It is during this year that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had destined and also instructed the Prophet ﷺ to perform hajj. And that's why this is known as Hajjat al-Wida' the farewell of the Messenger ﷺ. In talking about, learning about, discussing the hajj of the Prophet ﷺ, we've talked a little bit about the preparation, the departure to the hajj, and we started talking about the Prophet ﷺ and the believers, the Hujjaj, arriving into the city of Mecca and then starting the Umrah that precedes the Hajj. So we talked about how they arrived, entered into the masjid, performed the tawaf. We were at the point where now, after completing the tawaf, the next component of the Umrah is to do what is often referred to as a sa'i. Asari. The Quran uses the wording tawaf for this as well, but it's tawaf bayna safa wal marwa. It is to go between Safa and Marwa, two mountains that are right there adjacent to Masjid al Haram, to the Kaaba. And we, of course, know this as a sa'i. The Prophet referred to it as with that word. The word sa'i quite literally means to move quickly. To move quickly. And so it is moving quickly. As-sa'i bayna safa wal marwa. So in the hadith of Sahih Muslim, to understand exactly how this occurred, the narration mentions that the Prophet ﷺ, he first performed the tawaf, as we talked about. He then, bilbayti sab'an, he did seven circuits around the Kaaba. Number two, salatahu عِنْدَ الْمَقَامِ rakaatain. The Prophet ﷺ then prayed two raka'ahs at the maqam of Ibrahim, the station of Abraham. ثُمَّ رَجَعَ إِلَى الرُّكْنِ فَاسْتَلَمَهُ Then he went back to the Al-Hajrul Aswad and he once again, you know, gestured towards or made contact with the black stone, the Al-Hajrul Aswad. ثُمَّ خَرَجَ مِنَ الْبَابِ إِلَى الصَّفَاءِ Then he exited the masjid area into the... and he went in the direction of the mountain of Safa. Alright? And then when he got to the mountain of Safa, the Prophet ﷺ ascended a little bit, and then from there, <clears throat> the Prophet ﷺ recited the verse, 
ان الصفا والمروه من شعائر الله ابدا بما بدا الله به he recited the verse from surah al-baqarah in which allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that no doubt the mountains of safa and marwa are landmarks that have been established by allah they are the landmarks of god and then he said abda'u bima bada allah bihi i began my movement between safa and marwa the way the prophet the way that allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has started their mention meaning i will start at safa and then i will go towards marwa So the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam started with Safa. He climbed up on Safa just enough to the point where he could see the Kaaba from there. Then the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam turned in the direction of the Kaaba. He wrote and he said fawahhad Allah wa kabbarahu. He said la ilaha illallah Allahu akbar and then he said la ilaha illallah wahdahu la sharika lahu that there's no one worthy of worship except for Allah alone. and he has no partner lahul mulku wa lahul hamdu to him alone belongs the entire dominion to him alone belongs all praise wa huwa ala kulli shay'in qadir and he is fully capable over each and every single thing la ilaha illallah wahdahu there's no one worthy of worship except for allah anjaza wa'dahu allah fulfilled his promise wa nasara 'abdahu he helped his slave referring to himself wa hazam al ahzab wahdahu and allah subhanahu wa ta'ala defeated all the armies and the enemies by himself referring to of course returning makka and the kaaba back to its original purpose of the worship of allah thumma da'a bayna dhalika then the prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam made some dua there and he supplicated to god faqala mithla hadha thalatha marrat he said this entire dhikr three times he then came down حتى اذا انصبت قدماه في الوادي رملا then he came down from the mountain of safa and when he reached the lowest point of the valley between safa and marwa the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam walked with a quicker pace he almost lightly kind of ran he lightly jogged so he moved with a quicker pace when he reached that middle point that bottom point حتى and then after he was out of that lowest part of the valley he started to walk at a normal pace again and that's why when we go for umrah or hajj and we do sa'i there is there are the two green lights and we kind of lightly run in between those two green lights that's the place where the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam moved more quickly so much so that it then says hatta idha sa'ida masha idha atal marwa then he started to walk once again until he came to the mountain of marwa فَرَقِيَ عَلَيْهَا Then he climbed up the mountain of Marwa just a little bit حَتَّى نَظَرَ إِلَى الْبَيْتِ To the point where he could see the Kaaba from there فَقَالَ عَلَيْهَا كَمَا قَالَ عَلَى الصَّفَا Then he said the same, you know, dhikr and remembrance and dua that he had said at the place of Safa <coughs> He said the same thing at the mountain of Marwa So in this way The narration mentions wa huwa yas'a yaduru bihi izarahu min shiddati as-sa'i wa huwa yaqulu li ashabihi is'au inna Allah kataba alaykum as-sa'a So in the prophet sallallahu between those two green lights milayn akhdarain the lowest part of the valley where he would walk more quickly he would almost jog the prophet sallallahu the narration says that he moved so quickly 
that the Prophet ﷺ had to grab his lower garment and secure it. That's how quickly he moved. And he looked at the companions and some of the companions who were still walking kind of slowly. He said, Is'au. He said, move more quickly. God has commanded you to run at this particular place. And so there's a number of narrations which emphasize that the Prophet ﷺ ran during this practice of sa'i. So the Prophet ﷺ, he moved between Safa and Marwa seven times, as we know, obviously, is um, the, you know, uh, the, the, the actual component of Hajj and Umrah. So from Safa to Marwa once, back to Safa is twice, and he did this basically seven trips, seven one-way trips he made. Um, so where it started at Safa, and the seventh one concluded at the mountain of Marwa. And so the Prophet ﷺ performed the sa'i in this way. Once he was done with the sa'i, that basically is the end and the conclusion of the umrah. That concludes the umrah. The only thing that remains at this particular juncture is to basically cut some of the hair. All right, at least some of the hair. Shaving of the head is something the Prophet ﷺ recommended. On the previous Umrah trips, the Prophet ﷺ had shaved his head. When the companions inquired from him, do we have to shave our head or can we just cut our hair? The Quran even talks about it. The Prophet ﷺ said, you can cut your hair as well. But he made dua three times for men who will shave their head and dua once for those who will cut their hair. Of course, women folk only as a symbolic ritual, only cut just a little bit of their hair from the bottom. Um, and after the cutting of the hair, they are able to now exit from the ihram. Now this is just to know the hajj of the Prophet ﷺ. The narrations mention in Sahih Muslim that the majority of the companions actually when they were done with this umrah, they cut their hair, shaved their head, and they exited the ihram. They they, they finished their umrah and they exited the ihram. The majority of the companions did that. They said, Al-hillu kulluhu. Al-hillu kulluhu. Tatayyabna bitibi walabisna thiyabana. Right? Walaysa baynana wa bayna arafa ila arba'u layalin. They said that we basically were completely came out of the state of ihram to went to the point where fawaqa'na nisa'a Intimacy between spouses was permissible. We were able to apply perfume and we were able to wear normal stitched regular clothing. And they say that there were only four nights between us and Hajj. There were only four nights between us and Hajj. So they did their Umrah with about four days remaining until the Hajj would start. So the Hajj resumes again on the 8th of the Hijjah. So this was about the 4th and some narrations the 5th of the Hijjah. And they completed the Umrah and most of them exited the state of Ihram. However, the Prophet ﷺ, he did not exit the Ihram. Because the Prophet ﷺ, we talked about this previously, he performed the type of Hajj that is called Hajjul Qiran. Where a person goes into one ihram, they do umrah, then they stay, they don't cut their hair, they stay in the state of ihram until the hajj starts, and then they do the hajj as well. That's what the Prophet ﷺ did. Nevertheless, the majority ended up 
exiting the state of ihram. Now, what did the Prophet ﷺ do after he was done with the Umrah? After the Prophet ﷺ was done with the Umrah, what did he do? There's a very interesting fact here that many people are not familiar with. The Prophet ﷺ, when he finished his Umrah, the Hadith of Bukhari mentions um, as narrated by Abdullah ibn Abbas radiallahu ta'ala anuma, that the Prophet, peace be upon him, لم يقرأ بالكعبة بعد طوافه بها حتى رجع من عرفة. The Prophet did Umrah, finished his Umrah. He was still in Ihram. The majority of the companions exited the state of Ihram. Then the Prophet did not perform any more tawafs. He did not pray any more prayers at the Kaaba. He went and stayed a little bit outside of Mecca. Mecca was a lot smaller then than it is now. Um, essentially, kind of the area of the Haram that we know, the area of the Masjid, like the walls and the white marble outside. Just a little bit beyond that was the entirety of the city of Mecca at that time. The Prophet ﷺ went a little bit outside of the old city of Mecca and he basically camped out there. They prayed out there. They stayed out there for about three, almost four days. And the Prophet ﷺ did not go to the Kaaba. It's very interesting. I'll share another narration which illustrates some of this. Um, in the Musnad of Imam Ahmad, it's mentioned that uh, one companion of the Prophet وسلم, Abu, Juh, Abu Juhayfa, um, he says, I remember seeing where the Prophet was staying, and the Prophet وسلم, and the companions were there. Bilal, I remember seeing Bilal would call the Adhan for prayer. Yaduru when he called the adhan, he would turn his face to the right and he would turn his face to the left so that his voice would project in the whole area because they were camped out in their region. He had his fingers inside of his ears because it helps you kind of project your voice. The Prophet was staying in a red-colored tent. Uraha min Adam. He says, I think that it was made out of like skin, like you know, the tanned hide of a camel. That's why it was so red. After he called the Adhan, he went and got the Prophet. He came and the Prophet was with him. Bilal had a spear with him. He went and he put the spear into the ground. And then, فَصَلَّى رَسُولَ اللَّهِ And then the Prophet ﷺ, he prayed using the spear as kind of a sutra in front of him, to kind of, you know, in case anyone passed or needed to pass. He put that spear in front of him and then he prayed. And the narration says that they were staying at a place called Al-Batha. Al-Batha, which was right outside of Mecca. And 
the narration basically says that the Prophet ﷺ, he stayed out there until... So the narration says the Prophet ﷺ stayed out there on the day of Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. Four days. Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. And then Thursday was the 8th of the Hijjah, so then they head out to Mina. So the Prophet ﷺ had four days between the conclusion of the Umrah and the start of the Hajj. And he went outside of Mecca and stayed there. And they prayed there. They didn't pray at the Kaaba, they prayed over there. And the narration mentions that many... Um, so one of the interesting narrations is actually about Ali radiallahu ta'ala anhu. Remember the Prophet ﷺ had sent Ali to Yemen. He had sent him to Yemen to go there and teach people and kind of, you know, he had given him some assignments in Yemen. So Ali radiallahu ta'ala anhu brought a huge group of hujjaj from Yemen. When they arrived there in Mecca, they found out that the Prophet was staying outside of Mecca at this place called Al-Badha. So Ali radiallahu ta'ala anhu went there to go check in with the Prophet and they were in Ihram. And when they went out there, Ali radiallahu ta'ala anhu sees Fatima <coughs> radiallahu ta'ala anha, bintu Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Fatima, the daughter of the Prophet who is of course the wife of Ali bin Abi Talib. He sees her and she's wearing, you know, of course women folk when they perform Umrah or Hajj, they wear their normal clothes and garments. So she's of course wearing normal clothes, but he noticed on top of that, that she had some kuhul applied. She had some kuhul. Like basically it's like she had some like eyeliner, she had something in her eyes applied, which you cannot apply <clears throat> when you are in ihram. Secondly, the garments, the clothes that she was wearing had like some color of like some type of perfume. So when he saw her with that, he said, why are you doing this? We're doing hajj. Man amraki bihada. Who told you to do this? And she responded to him, she said, Abi, my father told me to do this. So Ali radiallahu ta'ala anhu, of course, that's the Prophet right? So when Ali radiallahu ta'ala anhu heard this, he got really nervous. So he went to the Prophet ﷺ, and he basically inquired, he said, should we also exit from Ihram? And the Prophet ﷺ said, no. He said, have you done the Umrah yet? And he said, no, we haven't done our Umrah yet. I came to check in with you. He said, no, they've already done their Umrah. That's why I told them to exit from their Ihram. I'm staying in Ihram. But he said, you need to do your Umrah first. That's the first thing you need to do. So, as people were even arriving and they were going there to the Prophet ﷺ where he was staying outside of Mecca, the Prophet ﷺ told them, no, you go do your Umrah, then exit your Ihram, and then... So now, before we move on, this is very peculiar, right? Because it just, it's curious that there were four days between their Umrah and Hajj. And the Prophet ﷺ stays outside of Mecca for those four days. And he doesn't pray at the Kaaba for those four days. He doesn't pray at the Haram for those four days. 
Now, again, you know, in my very deficient kind of logic, right, if I was to apply my reasoning, which is by all, you know, by all definitions extremely deficient, one would think that, okay, I got four days between my Umrah and Hajj, let me make the most of these four days. I'm going to stay as close as possible to the Haram, and I'm going to pray every single prayer in the Haram. Why did the Prophet ﷺ not do that? He could have. He had every opportunity to. Right? It's not like all the hotels were booked. Right? That's not the case at the time of the Prophet ﷺ. Right? But he deliberately went a distance, stayed out there, and then he deliberately went to a distance, he stayed out there, and did not pray at the Haram. On purpose. So one has to kind of think as to why. What exactly was the purpose of that? Wallahu ta'ala alam, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala ultimately knows best. But there's a couple of things that occur. And a few things that the scholars have written. Number one, as we know, when it comes to what we call the sunnah, Right, the source. One of the sources of Islamic law is the Sunnah, the prophetic tradition, the prophetic practice, and by definition, the Sunnah is what the Prophet ﷺ said, and also what the Prophet ﷺ did. That is also part of the Sunnah. There is the possibility, as we see in other narrations, that when the during the month of Ramadan, the Prophet ﷺ came out and prayed Taraweeh with the companions on one night. A second night, the Prophet ﷺ came out and he prayed taraweeh with the companions on a second night. The third day, the Prophet ﷺ came out and prayed taraweeh with the companions on a third night. The fourth day, the companions gathered, they had Salat al-Isha, the Prophet ﷺ went home, he would usually come back out for taraweeh. The companions remained gathered, waited for hours, and the Prophet ﷺ never came out for Salatul Taraweeh. He did not come out to lead them into Taraweeh prayers. Until the morning time occurred, and then the Prophet ﷺ came for Fajr. When the Prophet ﷺ came for Fajr, someone inquired, O Messenger of Allah, we waited for you last night to lead us in the Taraweeh prayers, but you never came. The Prophet ﷺ said, I did not come because had I come, it could have become mandatory upon you. Number one, that doesn't just mean that of course Allah would make it mandatory, but it also means that people would have taken the impression or gotten the idea that it is mandatory. So the Prophet ﷺ deliberately did not come. There's other examples of this. The Prophet ﷺ says, لَوْلَا أَنَّ شُقْ عَلَىٰ أُمَّتِي the Prophet ﷺ said, had I, not wanted, had I not been afraid of making things too difficult upon my ummah, I would have commanded them, made it mandatory that they have to do siwak, they have to brush their teeth before every single prayer. Before, so you'd have to brush your teeth a minimum five times a day. But I didn't want to make things too difficult and that's why I did not do that. There were different occasions in the life of the Prophet ﷺ where the Prophet ﷺ on, a, on rare occasion, 
few occasions, but the Prophet was not, did not wake up to pray the tahajjud prayers, even within his home. To, to establish the precedent that it is acceptable to not pray the tahajjud prayers sometimes. It's not mandatory. So much so that the Prophet Allah made certain scenarios occur in the life of the Prophet like the day of uh, one of the toughest days during the Battle of Tabuk, uh, excuse me, the Battle of the Trench, Al-Khandaq, one of, during one of the toughest days of the Battle of the Trench, Al-Ahzab, Al-Khandaq, where the disbelievers, the, the enemy from across the trench launched a very fierce attack. And the attack lasted for like 8-10 hours all day long. So much so that they weren't able to pray Dhuhr, Asr, or Maghrib. Until finally it was nighttime, it was, it was, it was nighttime, it was Isha time, and only by that time the attack finally stopped. And then they were able to pray. And at that time, they, the Prophet ﷺ gathered the companions together, they congregated, and then they prayed Dhuhr, then they prayed their Asr, then they prayed their Maghrib, and then they prayed their Isha. So we once again see that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala made this situation happen in the life of the Prophet ﷺ. Otherwise you think about it, miraculously, Allah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala could have caused time to freeze. And they would have prayed. It would have been a miracle of the Prophet That could have happened. But that did not happen. So these types of scenarios are, you know, there are many such scenarios in the life of the Prophet to illustrate, you know, the ease and the flexibility and the uh, concessions that are granted in certain scenarios. And so the Prophet staying outside of Mecca on the four days between Umrah and Hajj, and not praying at the Haram, not even once, because had the Prophet ﷺ stayed right outside, right at the Haram, and had the Prophet ﷺ offered every single prayer five times a day throughout those four days at the Haram, it could have created the notion that it is mandatory and obligatory on the days between your Hajj and Umrah that you have to offer every single prayer inside the Haram. And while many of us who might go in different you know, Hajj groups from the States or from different places as well, many folks who might end up going in more you know, expensive or VIP Hajj packages, um, you know, they, they have hotels walking distance from the Haram. And they're able to pray in the Haram five times a day. However, let's not forget that the majority of the hujjaj are not able to stay in those hotels walking distance from the haram. That's not the majority. That's a minority. More than half of the hujjaj are people staying further out as far as Aziziyah, right? The legendary land of Aziziyah, right? All hujjaj have heard of this legendary place, right? So the majority of the hujjaj are staying out as far as Aziziyah, where forget about walking distance, like you can't even get a transportation to bring you to the haram in the days between Umrah and Hajj because there's millions of people. So they end up having to stay out there. And they cannot come and pray in the haram. They're lucky if they're able to come once a day. 
And a lot of them get there once a day and they just basically stay for like eight hours or as long as humanly possible. Right? And then they just go back. And then some folks, you know, if there's somebody more elderly, women and children, things like that, who can't even make it out there once a day, they end up just staying out in Azizia for the entire three, four days that they're there. And so it's the Prophet ﷺ was creating ease through this practice of his, through this very deliberate strategic action, practice, sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ, number one. Number two, the Prophet ﷺ is the epitome of empathy. He's the epitome of empathy. Even if we had clarity, couldn't have the Prophet ﷺ maybe stayed one day out there? And then gone out there the rest of the days, or at least come once a day or something like that. But think about the how the Prophet actions comfort. Those who come perform Umrah and then have to go a couple of miles away, a few miles away, and stay out there, because that's all they can afford until Hajj begins. And think about how they when they hear this narration that the Messenger of Allah, Muhammadur Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, stayed for four days between Umrah and Hajj, and he spent the whole four days outside of Mecca and he prayed all twenty prayers out there, outside of the Haram. That they feel like my Hajj is not deficient. And I have spoken to people, talked to people. And even when you're there, you see the reaction with people, people who end up staying further away, people who end up staying further away, a lot of times they feel a sense of like they're missing out. So think about how comforting it would be for them to know that in the hadith of Bukhari, in Sahih Muslim, authentically it says, the Prophet ﷺ spent four days outside of Mecca and did not pray in the Haram. And... So these are just some of the wisdoms and some of the lessons that we derive from this particular fact that the Prophet ﷺ prayed out there. Now after those four days transpired, it is the 8th of the Hijjah. Now one thing that I wanted to mention is, there's one particular detail. On the 7th of the Hijjah, on the 7th of the Hijjah, which was Wednesday, that day on Wednesday, the Prophet ﷺ gathered all the companions together, all the people who had come to do Hajj. He gathered them all together where he was outside of Mecca at Al-Batha. He gathered them there together, and the Prophet ﷺ خطب الناس فأخبرهم بمناسكهم. He gathered them together, and he informed them on how to perform the Hajj. He basically gave a Hajj seminar, a Hajj lecture, right? How to do the Hajj. He instructed them, tomorrow will be the 8th, we will put on the Ihram, we will go to Mina, we will stay there for a day, then we'll go to Arafat, and we'll stay there during the daytime, then we'll go to Muzdalifa, and we'll spend the night in Muzdalifa, Al-Jama'a bin Muzdalifa, and then we will, in the morning of the 10th, we will go back to Mina, where we will stone the pillar, the largest of the pillars, Al-Jamratul Aqaba, and then we will shave the head, sacrifice the animal, exit the Ihram, then we will go back to Mecca and we will perform a tawaf and a sa'i, tawaf al-ifada, tawaf al-ziyara, tawaf al-sa'i, after which we will return back to Mina 
and we will remain there for anywhere from two to three days. And at that, during those two to three days, we will stone the pillars, the jamarat, we will pray our prayers, we will engage in dua and dhikr and things like that. And then ultimately we will depart. We will go back to Mecca, make a tawaf for farewell, and then we will depart. He gave them that Hajj lecture, that Hajj seminar. He taught them the Hajj. On the 8th of the Hijjah, the Prophet ﷺ, they prayed Salatul Fajr. They prayed Salatul Fajr there where they were camped out, outside of Mecca. They prayed Fajr there. After praying Fajr, Yawm Tarwiyah, which is referred to the 8th of the Hijjah, they prayed Salatul Fajr there, and then the Prophet ﷺ commanded the companions to enter, in, to basically resume the ihram, to enter into a state of ihram. And they, then at that time, after putting on the garments of ihram, they boarded their transportations, they prayed two rak'ahs, they boarded their transportation, and now they started traveling towards the valley of Mina. They started traveling towards the valley of Mida, and they say, "Hatta ja'alna Makkata minna bi dhahrin, labayna bil Hajj." The Hadith of Bukhari says, "Once they started moving towards the direction of Mina, then the Prophet ﷺ commanded the companions, now say the talbiyah, labayk Allahumma labayk, labayk bil Hajj." That now make your intention for Hajj and enter into officially the state of Ihram. And they said to Talbiya, and they entered the Ihram and now they started moving towards Mina. They arrived in Mina and there the Prophet, there's a number of narrations found in the Sahih of Imam Bukhari. Where And there's other narrations like in the Musnad of Imam Ahmad that mentions that the Prophet ﷺ, he offered five prayers. The Hadith of Tirmidhi lists all five prayers. Abdullah ibn Abbas says the Prophet ﷺ and the companions offered five prayers in Mina. On the 8th of the Hijjah, they prayed Dhuhr, Asr, Maghrib, Isha. They spent the night in Mina. They slept there. Then they woke up in the morning on the 9th of the Hijjah and they prayed Salatul Fajr in Mina. After praying Salatul Fajr in Mina, then the Prophet led the companions to the place of Arafat. Now, just again while we're on the topic, just to talk about it, this is the ninth of the Hijjah. This is known as Yawm Arafah. Yawm Arafah. It's called that because the Hujjaj on this day, they gather in the place of Arafat. However, the ninth of the Hijjah, even if you are not performing Hajj, it is still a sacred, very important day. The Prophet ﷺ told us that fasting on the day of Arafah is one of the most virtuous practices. The Prophet ﷺ said, somebody who fasts on the day of Arafah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will forgive their sins of the previous year, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will grant them the ability to avoid sins for the coming year. We often hear Allah will forgive the sins of the previous and the coming year. What that means is that Allah will forgive your sins of the previous year, and Allah will grant you the ability to practice 
better and avoid more sins in the coming year. So it's a very blessed day. Number two, that day of Arafah, the ninth of the Hijjah, is the main day of Hajj. The Prophet said, Al-Hajju Arafah, that is the main day of Hajj. Number three, the place where the Hujjaj gather on that day is often is referred to as Arafat. Arafat, like almost a plural of the word Arafah. All right, but it's not really a plural because it's the name of a place. That's, a, that's an Arabic nerd thing. Don't worry about it. But Arafat is the name of the place. What does that word exactly mean? Why is it called Arafat? There's a number of different ideas. Allah knows best. God knows best. The root of the word means for people to gather. It means for people to come together. For people to gather. So the most obvious definition, the most obvious explanation is, it's called Arafat because that's where people gather every year. Self-explanatory. Okay? A second narration from some of the companions mentions that it's called Arafat, and there's a mountain there, small mountain. It's eroded quite a bit, so it's not as large as it used to be, but it's a small mountain that's called Jabal Rahma. Jabal Rahma. The Mount of Mercy. And <clears throat> there are narrations which allude to the idea that when Adam and Hawa, Adam and Hawa, Adam and Eve were sent down to the earth, initially they were separated. They were sent at different places. And when they repented, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, فَتَلَقَى آدَمُ مِن رَبِّهِ كَلِمَاتٍ فَتَابَ عَلَيْهِ God accepted their repentance. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allowed them to be reunited. And they reunited at the Mount of Mercy, Jabal Rahmah, in Arafat. So they were brought together again, hence it's referred to as Arafat. There's a third theory or, or narration which says that, which refers to this as a place where humanity will be gathered at the end of time at the end of the world, al-mahshar, that this will be the place of the mahshar, this will be the place of the gathering of humanity for the reckoning. Allah knows best. So some say it's called the Arafat because that's where people will be gathered. In either case, in either scenario, that's the name of the place. And that's where the hujjaj gather and spend the, day, the daytime, the daytime of the ninth of Dhul-Hijjah, the main day of hajj. So on this ninth day, after praying Fajr in Mina, the narrations mention that the Prophet ﷺ, along with the companions that were performing the Hajj with him, فَأَجَازَ رَسُولَ They arrived at this place of Arafat. فَوَجَدَ الْقُبَّةَ قَدَ ضُرِبَتْ لَهُ they had pitched a tent for the Prophet ﷺ at a place there in Arafat, at the edge of Arafat. That tent became, that tent where the tent of the Prophet ﷺ was pitched, it became uh, commemorated as a masjid which is present till today in the place of Arafat. And we, we call it Masjid Namira. Masjid Namira. So that, that's where the tent of the Prophet ﷺ was pitched. 
The Prophet ﷺ arrived there. The narration mentions that the Prophet ﷺ got some rest. He took some rest. He laid down for a little bit. It was still morning time before Dhuhr. After lying down and getting some rest, the Prophet ﷺ then got up. And the narration says that he poured some water on himself to kind of cool off a little bit. Right? So in a sense, like took a shower, but again, not using any type of... You know, not cleansing oneself, but just put some water to kind of cool off. The Prophet ﷺ put his ihram back on, the garments. And then when it was Dhuhr time, when the sun began its decline and Dhuhr time came in, as soon as Dhuhr time came in, not wasting a minute. So let's say, you know, when you look up in your phone app or something like that, the prayer app, and it says that Dhuhr time starts at 12.30 or 12.45 or whatever, Right, like literally at that minute, as soon as the sun started its decline and it was noticeable, the Prophet ﷺ got his, told the Sahaba, get his camel. The camel was Qaswa. The same camel the Prophet ﷺ rode into Medina on that was guided to the place of the masjid. The Prophet ﷺ went a little bit further into the valley where the companions all gathered. The Prophet ﷺ khatab nas And there he addressed all the companions. The narrations mention that there were over 120,000 Sahaba gathered there. Over 120,000 Muslims, companions of the Prophet Muhammad ﷺ. Because either they had interacted with him previously or they're sitting, watching and listening to a khutbah of the Prophet ﷺ. They're companions. So the Prophet ﷺ addressed him there. And he gave the most monumental address of the life of the Prophet ﷺ, which is known, preserved, documented, commemorated, and remembered till today as Khutbatu Hajjatul Wida, the sermon of the farewell pilgrimage of the Prophet. ﷺ. He gave that legendary sermon, Khutbah, at that place. And after that khutbah was completed, well, I'm not going to go into the khutbah today because the khutbah deserves kind of a, at least a session, at least a session. Uh, just as a quick reference, and I'll, and I'll share more references with y'all in the next session. But there are entire books written on the explanation and the, the details of the khutbah of the, that khutbah of the Prophet one particular text, a classical text by a classical scholar um, that I've gone through is 180 pages discussing what we can learn from that khutbah of the Prophet So at the very least, it deserves a session. So inshallah, in the next session, what I'd like to do is in detail discuss the khutbah of Hajjat al-Wida. However, for now, I'd just like to complete the events of this day. And then we'll talk about the khutbah in the next session. After delivering the khutbah, there is some discussion about what was the khutbah like. Was it just one khutbah or did he sit and give it in two parts like the Friday sermon that we see every single Friday? The more authentic, the, 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 the narration, there are narrations which explicitly mention, and that's why the opinion of the vast overwhelming majority is that the Prophet ﷺ gave it in two parts. Just like the Friday khutbah, he, he gave a part of the khutbah, he sat, he stood up and delivered the second half of it. 
after completing the khutbah, the Prophet wasallam then asked Bilal radiallahu ta'ala anhu to call the adhan. Bilal radiallahu ta'ala anhu, he called the adhan. By the way, I forgot to mention this little detail and I'll, I'll emphasize it again next session. The Prophet gave the khutbah, obviously they were in the middle of the field of Arafat, there was no mimbar that was present, so he sat on the back of his camel and gave khutbah from there. Gave khutbah from the back of the camel. He told Bilal radiallahu ta'ala anhu at this time to call the adhan. Bilal radiallahu ta'ala anhu called the adhan. After that, the Prophet then told Bilal to give the iqama, thumma aqama, fasalla dhuhra. The Prophet then led the companions in the dhuhr prayer. Then the Prophet stood up after they were done with dhuhr, immediately stood up. He told Bilal, call the iqama. He called the iqama again, and then they prayed the asr prayer in jama'ah. They combined the dhuhr and the asr together. Why? There's a very specific reason for this. They combined the dhuhr and the asr, so he gave a khutbah, and the khutbah of the Prophet even though this is the, this is the longest and biggest khutbah of the life of the Prophet even then, it wasn't more than 20 minutes, he then led them in Dhuhr prayer. They called the Qama, he led them in the Asr prayer. In, in, in its entirety, this was 30, at the most, 40 minutes long, this entire. And the reason why they did all of this right here, as soon as Dhuhr time came in, because as soon as, and the Prophet ﷺ did not pray the Sunnah of Dhuhr between Dhuhr and Asr, he immediately prayed Asr. And as soon as they were done, the Prophet ﷺ, Rahan Nabi ﷺ, ilal mawqaf, the Prophet, the Prophet ﷺ then immediately went out into the open area, bi'arafa in Arafah, and then the Prophet ﷺ started to supplicate and make dua. He started to supplicate and make dua. One little detail, we on the 9th of the Hijjah, the day of Arafah, those of us who are not at Hajj, we fast. People who are at Hajj should not fast. Because that day, they're supposed to be doing something else. In fact, there are clear narrations in the Musnad of Imam Ahmad that Ummul Fadl, the mother of Abdullah bin Abbas, she sent milk for the Prophet and he drank milk. That was the lunch of the Prophet after Dhuhr and Asr, he drank some milk. And then the Prophet went out into the open area and he took the companions with him. And the Prophet he said to the companions um, at that time, "Kunu ala masha'irikum, fulfill the obligations of the Hajj in these places. فَإِنَّكُمْ عَلَىٰ إِرْثٍ مِنْ إِرْثِ أَبِيكُمْ إِبْرَاهِيمٍ Because these are the legacy of Abraham that has been inherited from him. And then the Prophet ﷺ and the companions make dua. And they supplicated and made dua all the way from that Dhuhr time until the sun set, until Maghrib time. They made dua non-stop. The Prophet ﷺ in one hadith, he says, أَفْضَلُ الدُّعَى يَوْمَ عَرَفَةً The best dua is the dua made on the day of Arafah. وَأَفْضَلُ مَا قُلْتُ أَنَا وَالنَّبِيُّونَ مِنْ قَبْلِي The best thing that I and the Prophets before me have said on the day of Arafah, لَا إِلَهِ اللَّهُ وَحْدَهُ لَا شَرِيكَ لَهُ There is no one worthy of worship except for God alone. And He is alone and He has no partner. 
The Prophet ﷺ, he was standing at the place of Arafah, he was making dua. The narration mentions that his arms were at the level of his chest. He had his arms stretched out as high as his chest. And the narration mentions that he had his arms, he had his hands spread out, open like this, like a beggar does. Kal miskeen. Yes, al. Like how a poor person sits there with their hand out, hands out, the Prophet ﷺ stood on that day and made dua. He stood and made dua with his hands out. And he, while he was standing and making dua, he recited the verse, Shahid Allahu annahu la ilaha illahu wal malaikatu wa ulul ilmi qa'iman bil qisri la ilaha illahu wal azizul hakim. That God testifies that there is no one worthy of worship except for him. The angels also testify, and the people of knowledge also testify. Standing truthfully that there is no one worthy of worship except for Allah. And Allah is the Almighty and the All-Wise. And then the Prophet said, And I also testify here today, my Lord. The Prophet some of the du'as he made, Allahumma lakal hamd kal O Allah, for you is the ultimate praise as we are saying. وَخَيْرًا مِمَّا نَقُولُ And better than we can say. اللَّهُمَّ لَكَ صَلَاتِي وَنُسُكِي وَمَحْيَايَ وَمَمَاتِي Oh Allah, for you alone is my living and my dying. For you alone is my prayer and my sacrifice. وَلَكَ رَبِّ تُرَاثِي Everything I leave behind is dedicated to you. أَعُوذُ بِكَ مِنْ عَذَابِ الْقَبْرِ I ask you to protect us from the punishment of the grave. وَوَسْوَسَةِ الصَّدَرِ I ask you to protect us from shaitan confusing us. وَشَتَّاتِ الْأَمْرِ I ask you to protect us from becoming divided amongst one another. اللَّهُمَّ إِنِّي أَعُوذُ بِكَ مِنْ شَرِّ مَا تَحُبُّ بِهِ الْرِيحُ Oh Allah, I ask you to protect us from any evil that the wind may blow in. The Prophet wasallam he made dua on that day, Allahumma ja'al fi basari nooran, wa fi sam'i nooran, wa fi qalbi noora. Oh Allah, put light in my sight, put light in my hearing, put light in my heart. Allahumma shrah li sadari, oh Allah, open my chest. Allow me to fully internalize my faith. Wa yassilli amri, oh Allah, ease my task for me. اللهم إني أعوذ بك من وسواس الصدر وشتات الأمر وشر فتنة القبر وشر ما يلج في الليل وما شر ما يلج في النهار وشر ما تهب به الرياح وشر بوائق الدهر. Oh Allah, I ask you to protect us from confusion that comes from shaitan, from becoming divided, from the from the from being tested in our graves, being punished in our graves, from the evil that approaches during the night, from the evil that approaches during the day, from the evil that the wind blows in, and from the evil of the passing of time. The Prophet ﷺ in another narration, he made dua Allahumma inna katasma'u kalami wa tara makani wa ta'alamu sirri wa alaniyati. Oh Allah, you hear what I'm saying. You see where I'm standing. You know what I do in private and in public. Wala yakhfa alayka shay'um min amri. Nothing is hidden from you, O oh Allah. Anal ba'isul faqir. I am begging before you, my Lord. Al mustaghith al mujir. I seek your assistance. I ask for your protection. Al-wajilul mushfiq. 
I fear your wrath and punishment. I admit my mistakes to you, O Allah. I ask you like a beggar seeks. I beg before you like a sinner begs. I ask you as someone who is afraid of, of what lies ahead. Man khada'at laka raqbatuhu I lower my head in front of you Wafadat laka abratuhu And my eyes shed tears before you Wadalla laka jasaduhu I physically humble myself before you Wahraghima laka anfuhu I put my face on the ground in front of you Allahumma la taj'alni bidu'aika rabbi shaqiyya Oh Allah, do not reject my prayers here today Wakun bi ra'ufan rahima Be merciful and compassionate with me, my Lord Ya khayr the best of those who is asked, the best of those who gives. The Prophet Usama, Usama ibn Zayd, who was very beloved to the Prophet he says, I was with the Prophet on that day, and he stood and made dua for so long with his hands stretched out, begging Allah in this way. That eventually the Prophet ﷺ got tired. He was 60, almost 63 years old. He got tired. So he asked me to get his camel. I got his camel and then he sat on the back of his camel and continued making dua. And then as he had his hands up and he was making dua, the rope of the camel fell off the back of the camel. The camel is very sensitive to the rope, particularly the nose ring. So when it felt the rope kind of tug a little bit because the rope fell, the camel started to move. So he says the Prophet ﷺ kept making dua. Without stopping, he reached down, picked up the rope, kept his hands up and he kept making dua. He did not stop for a minute. And there's just a little bit of a side note and a side lesson that I'll just mention here. That a lot of times if, if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and may Allah invite all of us. But if... We get the opportunity to go. Don't waste a minute of that. People want to sleep and people want to eat and people want to talk and people want to check their phones. Not that day. Any time but that time. Any day but that day. And that's why the Prophet ﷺ said, and I'll conclude with this. The Prophet ﷺ said, nas, O people, إِنَّ اللَّهَ تَطَوَّلَ عَلَيْكُمْ فِي هَذَا الْيَوْمِ Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has turned his attention to you on this day. لكم, and he will forgive you. Except for the indiscretions you commit amongst yourselves. You have to make amends for that. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he will gift to the sinful today like he will give gifts to the good and the righteous. And good people will be given whatever they ask Allah for. He said, now go, Bismillah, go. I don't want to see anybody not making dua, not praying. Allah will forgive the good today. And he will multiply the good uh, of people today. Allah's mercy will descend today and encompass everyone. 
And then when you leave here, you will take that mercy of God with you throughout the earth. فَتَقَعُوا عَلَىٰ كُلِّ تَائِبٍ مِمَّنْ حَفِظَ لِسَانَهُ وَيَدَهُ وَإِبْلِيسُ جُنُودُهُ عَلَىٰ جِبَالِ عَرَفَاتٍ يَنْدُرُونَ مَا يَسْنَعُ اللَّهُ بِهِمْ And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's forgiveness and mercy will rain down upon everyone asking Allah for forgiveness today. And shaitan and his army is watching from beyond the mountains and look at how merciful Allah is being today. They can't approach you. فَإِذَا نَزَلَتِ الرَّحْمَةِ دَعَاهُوَ وَجُنُودُهُ بِالْوَبْلِ وَالثُّبُورِ And they see the mercy of Allah and the forgiveness of Allah descending upon the hujjaj and shaitan curses himself today. قَالَ كُنْتُ أَسْتَفِزُّهُمْ حُقُبًا مِنَ الدَّارِ I deluded them for so many years, decades. Think about somebody who goes for hajj when they're 50, 60 years old. Shaitan says, I worked on that guy for decades. فَجَاءَتِ الْمَغْفِرَةِ فَغَشِيَتْهُمْ And in one instance, the mercy came from God and completely enshrouded them. excuse me. And they 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 disperse from there the shayateen, cursing themselves. Such mercy of Allah descend on that day. So that was the day of Arafah. The Prophet told the companions, make dua, and he himself made dua until he was so exhausted. Until the sun set, and at that point they continued the Hajj by going to Muzdalifa. We'll talk about the Khutbah of Hajjatul Wida in the next session in Arafat and then we'll continue on discussing the rest of the Hajj of the Prophet ﷺ. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant us all the ability to practice everything we've said and heard. Subhanallah bihamdihi, subhanakallahum bihamdik, nashhadu an la ilaha illa anta, nasakfirku wa natubu ilayk.